you've got some tough days ahead of you. That's that's true. But I think that in the end, you'll find that not only is breakfast the most important meal of the day, it's the first step on the road to... What'd you have for breakfast? Today? Yeah. So today, I wanted to have a little breakfast Sammy, um, which is very unlike me and very out of character. Oh, of course. (laughs) But I didn't have any sort of breakfast meat. And I always feel like doing the whole like cheese omelet thing or like cheese eggs thing. It's not that it's bad because it's like very, very good. But because I usually go so all out with like different components, it always makes me feel kind of like, oh, this isn't as special. Um, so today, um, I, so I always buy this really fancy sourdough bread and I freeze it because I never go through bread fast enough. So instead of toasting it in a toaster, what I did was I put some tablespoons of butter and some olive oil in a pan and I fried the bread in that butter. And then in all of that oil, I made a little cheese omelet and I put it on top, and it was really delicious. I am so jealous. I am never, ever, ever good at frying bread or buns or anything in a pan. Do you know why I started doing that? The movie Julie and Julia. That movie has influenced me so much in how I cook. Every time I fry up bread, I feel so Parisian. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is what they do in Paris. Oh, yes, this is what they do in Paris. Um, what did you have for breakfast today, Brian? I had popcorn shrimp. Uh, moving on, I uh, I was trying to do a Meryl Streep as Julia Child impression, but instead kind of veered off into Taco or Garfield the Deerl's Warlock from The Adventure Zone. <laughs> you can't just make references like that. Actually, you totally can. Now that you listen to The Adventure Zone, what? Now I kind of get your references. But Yay. also, Taco does sound like like Meryl Streep as Julia Child. <laughs> yeah, he totally does. I wonder I wonder if Julia Child liked tacos. Was that in the movie? You know, I bet she does. There's probably a taco recipe somewhere in one of her Joy of Cooking books. Hi, I'm Bob Ross, and I'd like to welcome you to the Joy of Cooking. Brian is going to be doing several voices tonight. <laughs> and Brian Hamilton as himself. You should try to do my voice. Um, no. I want to feel included. Oh, you're not included already by being a literal co-host of the podcast we do? No. Oh, that, make, that makes me sad because I, I wanted to do this podcast with you. But fine, if you don't feel included, I guess I'll, I'll just do this podcast with someone else. Like um, that box of Cards Against Humanity across the room. I think you could probably find a more competent co-host than me. What I'm going to do instead is just make you a bunch of Spite Breakfast. I think we should do an update from Spite Breakfast last week. Follow up. Uh, what Spite Breakfast follow up do we have? Well, didn't we give didn't we give the listeners homework to think of a, a, a time they had Spite Breakfast? Or was the homework to give somebody Spite Breakfast? Because I definitely didn't do that. Yeah, I didn't do that either. I mean, I... I like was hanging out with a friend today and he gave me a bottle of coffeeist, but I don't think that that's spite breakfast. I thought that was a very thoughtful breakfast. And it also wasn't my breakfast. Like real real coffeeist, not like the coffeeist you make with cold brew in soylent? Yeah, no, it was it was like name brand coffeeist. And I definitely think I will be adding a box of that to my subscription. <laughs> What was different about uh, coffeeist there from the cold brew coffeeist you make yourself? It's just more like coffee flavor. Interesting. All right. Like 
like it tastes more coffee. I guess what I could do. So if anyone out there is is also from Rhode Island, I'm not from Rhode Island, but a ton of my family are from there. And in Rhode Island, you can buy coffee syrup, which is like you can put it in milk and then it makes coffee milk. That reminds me of being like 10 and under. Maybe I should just do that. I'll buy some coffee syrup. I've heard of this. Wait, 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 wait. I, I've heard of this somewhere. Was it you that told me about this or was it someone else what is this coffee syrup it's like chocolate syrup but it's coffee flavored it's like just sugar it's like nothing like extraordinary is there caffeine in it yeah i think there is all right i'll, I'll give it a shot I'll, I'll i'll trek on up to rhode island and uh try to get my hands on this uh coffee flavored syrup what else uh we had some uh, good follow-up my favorite uh spite breakfast uh, that i've gotten from a listener thank you listener quinn rose uh has said that she would accidentally quote unquote burn toast for somebody and say oh sorry that was a mistake definitely on purpose definitely definitely on purpose i i think that my favorite response was that of kieran collier friend of the show and friend of my life um who (laughs) said that uh our alma mater also gave him a bunch of spite breakfast and i will agree with that can you give someone spite breakfast accidentally i mean i feel like there needs to be intent there I mean, maybe a little bit, but there's definitely no head of Spite Breakfast at Emerson that's dishing out the Spite Breakfasts. Anyway, speaking of intention, let's talk about this great big pile of trash that we watched for this week's episode. (sighs) All right. I, I feel like we should have a massive, massive disclaimer at the front of this. I love Alton Brown. I love Good Eats. I really shouldn't be like defending it when they put out this piece of garbage that we're about to talk about the breakfast episode that's entitled the man food show but here we are and also disclaimer also disclaimer this episode aired in 2005 when we weren't having such wide conversations about gender i'm sure some people were but i definitely wasn't included in those sorts of conversations back then because in 2005 i was how old was i in 2005 12 Yes. Thanks for that math, Brian. You're welcome for the math. I wasn't having those conversations about gender when I was 12, so I probably would have watched that episode of Good Eats and been like, oh. And that's the really interesting part, is even though, you know, I was 12 and like, what does that mean? But I definitely still would have watched that episode and felt like left out from it and would have felt like, oh, this is kind of unfair. Truge, let me ask you, are you a man? I'm not. And do you enjoy breakfast? I I really do. But 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 Mr. Alton Brown told me that the breakfast is man food. I mean, I guess that means that I'm a man. And it's okay because my gender is not a huge part of my identity. That's that's very true. Gender is not a big part. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, Okay, first and foremost, breakfast does not have a gender. Breakfast has no gender. Breakfast has no gender. Breakfast has no gender. It starts off with... uh, Good Eats is very, very good at doing like innovative filming techniques and things like that. And they're always very unique ways of filming and uh, framing ideas and episodes and structuring them, too. So this one is in the first person, entirely in first person, where uh, it's about a 32-year-old man whose mother still cooks him breakfast every morning... Sweetie, I love you, but it's time you started learning to cook for yourself. I can't keep coming over here every morning and leaving your father to make his own breakfast. 
You're 32 years old. And so she hires a professional, Mr. Alton Brown, to come in, bring him to the studio, and show him how to cook breakfast. And you know what would have solved all of this? Making men do any sort of emotional labor at all. <laughs> yes, exactly. The The emotional labor that this man has done is literally zero. He, he does not speak in this episode, and he does not have any sort of agency in what's going to happen. It's. I don't think we should talk about his agency. That's true. He is literally just a camera that people are talking into the entire time. <laughs> Except it's also like this is this is also Alton Brown's like lens into like totally shaming people who like live with their parents or like are overweight saying like did it occur to you you might meet a nice girl if you knew how to cook like that's so rude it's not even just like those are false correlations it's just like that's just plain old rude and that's not that's not what I think of when I think of the Alton Brown brand the Alton brand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this episode is surprisingly shamey for good eat. Like, even it's shamey in its own right. Yeah, sure. But even for good eats, which is usually very, very good natured and happy and exciting and encouraging. It's it's really weird to hear Alton Brown look into the camera, look into my eyes and say, you have a pasty complexion. You're not going to be cooking for a partner anytime soon. Yeah, it's just it's it's a weird one. Let's like dive into coffee. It starts off with Alton Brown saying, now you're an average American guy, right? Of course you are. And that means that come morning, you want a cup of joe, don't you? We go from there and the assumptions just keep rolling off of that beautiful tongue of his. Yeah, I just, it, it's it's a weird intention because I, I don't feel like Alton Brown actually sat down and thought to himself, like, women don't eat breakfast. Women don't drink coffee. I'm sure that didn't go through his head. It's just like this weird framing for this weird, like, not good episode in an otherwise, like, very, very cool, awesome series. All of this terrible, terrible stuff aside, I love how Alton Brown treats coffee. He's one of the very few, like, mainstream personalities that actually, you know, gets how coffee works. Now, I keep my beans up here with the spices. Why would I do that? Because coffee is a spice. Think about it. It's a dried seed uh, full of uh, volatile compounds that we want to preserve until we're ready to get them out. So I store coffee beans like I would store spices. Airtight containment, all right, and I keep it away from heat and I keep it away from light. So what is the number one thing that you can do for your coffee? Well, believe it or not, it is wait and grind right before you're ready to brew. Good coffee advice on television which is awesome except also he says things like too strong deal with it when i really think like you should make coffee how you like to drink it i'm i'm done with like can we can we just put a stop to coffee shaming it's okay to like weak coffee what's wrong with weak coffee inherently nothing you're not hurting anybody by drinking your coffee weak i love diner coffee you know Diner coffee is incredible. And as somebody who has inadvertently coffee shamed on this podcast, I would like to vehemently agree with you that we must end coffee shaming. Hashtag end coffee shaming 2017. Uh, What else? He talks about the French press, how it's usually the best bang for your buck among the good uh, means of making coffee. In this episode, he goes almost entirely volumetric for the coffee. So like uh, 32 ounces in a French press, but you need half a cup of grounds and things like that. I'm not a fan of that. I am not very good at doing things volumetrically, which is why I do things entirely with a scale. Um, There's also the idea like uh, I I really enjoy the fact that he says, now the last thing that I want you to do uh, in the morning is have to measure coffee. So I've taken the liberty of uh, placing a rubber band at just about the uh, half cup mark uh, there on the uh, on the little carafe so that you can just grind right up to the line and that's all you have to do. So that's clever. I enjoy it, but I don't think, like, I, I, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm not good at measuring things. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of actually, like, cool, quick, 
quick tips in this episode. I have thoughts when we get to the bacon part of it. The one part of this that I have tried and can can definitely say that like I've had not very good results is... I do like a pinch of uh, salt. Use kosher salt right there to knock off some of the uh, bitter edge. And so I had thought to myself like, yeah, of course, like salt does make everything better. There's like chemical things that happen. If you will remember from the pretzel... <laughs> From, um, I think the first episode we did about Bagelsaurus, where I talked about the pretzel bagel, I talked about how I like know a bunch of random stuff about salt because my science teacher in like ninth grade lent me her book on like the science of salt. So like I understood, but then I put salt in with my beans for the French press and the coffee just tasted salty. It straight up just tasted salty. The reason he does that, he said in other coffee episodes before, is to counteract the bitterness of coffee. And most people, he postulates, put in cream and sugar to deal with the uh, bitterness of coffee. And that doesn't really do anything to counteract it. It just kind of masks it up with cream and sugar. But the salt actually does counteract it. But you're right. It does make for an actually salty cup. That makes no sense to me. I've never actually tried it. I've had no interest in it. The other thing that is probably related to this is that, like, I have a cold, bitter heart. So probably the bitterness of the coffee is the thing that I like. That's very, very true. You're probably an average American male who enjoys a cup of joe in the morning. And if it's too strong, deal with it. If uh, you uh, prefer your coffee on the weaker side, well, I don't know. I'd say, um... Get over it. Yes, exactly. Get over it. Yeah, no, I'm really good with dealing with it because I live in this body. Speaking of dealing with it, let's move on to bacon. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually think there's a really good tip here is he talks about like how to buy bacon. Let's uh, peruse the uh, average Megamart display, which generally will feature three different levels. Okay, now I want you to steer clear of the bottom rack. It's usually full of budget stuff, fatty, full of chemicals and water. Don't reach for the top shelf either because it's usually the expensive stuff. And well, your mom mentioned that you've been, you know, kind of in between jobs. Look, just stick with what is in the middle. Yeah, I actually use that tip like every time I buy bacon, I'll like make sure that I'm picking something that's like not super duper expensive, but also not the stuff that comes in like the it's it all has the same packaging no matter where you are in the country, I feel like, with like the the like yellow cardboard piece in it. I hate that yellow cardboard piece so much. I'd never know what to do with it. Like I never know how to open the package and peel it back. Do I get rid of it? Do I need it there for like the structural integrity of the package? You're supposed to take it and lick it with your with your tongue right there on the bacon juices. Mm-mm. So Good Eats is full of these wonderful little uh, bits of information where, you know, learning how to eat something properly, learning how to buy something properly, more than just cooking, but like stuff about food culture. I never knew that Ginger was a like palate cleanser for sushi until I watched his episode on sushi. I thought that was awesome. But here talking about the color of bacon. This is good stuff. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, but this looks brown while uh, this stuff over here looks pink. That's because this was cured with some chemicals nitrites, which can be kind of nasty stuff. They say it even causes cancer. This is actually the better bacon. I thought that was really, really great. And I still use that when I buy bacon. You're right. Also, black pepper bacon? I've never had that before. Oh, how have you not? Black pepper bacon is awesome. I want to jump ahead to how he cooks it in a waffle iron. So we turn to one of my favorite everyday multitaskers. That's right. This is called a waffle iron. And uh, here is kind of my little trick. Have you ever done this? 
I have not, and we should the next time that you're in Boston. We should. I wanted to prep for this episode and actually do it, but I do not own a waffle iron. Let's put that on the checklist. Well, we have waffle iron here. Um, we'll just have to update our listeners next week on how we fare with the with the waffle iron bacon. I'm really excited because, yeah, it's cast iron inside the waffle iron, and it's like a self-contained unit that isn't going to splatter because it's entirely you know closed. There's things on top and on bottom of the bacon that means that the fat's not going to splatter everywhere, which I think is awesome. I have two I have two things that I'm thinking about that may or may not be true. One is that probably if you like cook it in the waffle iron, does he actually clamp down? I forget. Or does he just cook it like in the griddle? Um he closes the waffle iron and I like it doesn't this model didn't have like a latch on it, but it just closed and was left sat sitting there. Okay. That that's fine. Um, that's what I was thinking is that that might actually prevent shrinkage of the bacon because it like stretches it out. So maybe the bacon won't end up getting like shrunk like it usually does. Because I was thinking about this leads into my next point. Um, also candied bacon might be a little bit easier with this method than actually like putting it in the oven. And I was thinking about it because in Alex Guarnaschelli's recipe for candied bacon, she actually recommends that you're supposed to like put another pan on top of the pan of bacon to like flatten it out and make sure it doesn't shrink. I feel like it could probably be the same concept and I'm excited to try it. That's brilliant. That doubles the amount of pan in the thing. Uh, <laughs> he mentions that in the episode that he cuts the bacon in half. Now, since they shrink as they cook, long pieces of bacon can get all stretched out and kind of gnarly. So I cut them in half with my uh, my trusty shears and I simply arrange in the iron thusly. He mentions that in the episode, which is why he cuts them in half, which I think is brilliant. So yeah, it's not going to shrink. That's going to be awesome. That is also a thing that James Miranda, friend of the show and roommate of my heart, does to bacon. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely delicious to have smaller pieces of bacon and to have more bacon. Uh, you want to move on to hash browns? Uh, I think that you want to move on to hash browns. I want to move on to hash browns. My favorite scene in the show is when he talks about short order cooks at the local diner. You know, it doesn't matter where you go. The best hash browns in town will always be found at the local diner where uh, short order cooks conjure magic for massive hot slabs of steel called griddles. Now- yeah, say it louder for the people in the back. Diners are the best. Diners are the best. Diners are the best. You didn't have to yell it. We all know. I, I I had to yell it because I wanted to get that off my chest. I just feel like you're yelling at me and um, I don't appreciate that. I cranked down the gain and leaned back when I yelled. So uh, you should appreciate that at least. Oh, that's fine. I'll just deal with it. Deal with it. Yes, exactly. Get over it. <laughs> Um, he talks about short order cooks on the big old griddle uh, and grating the potato, which is exactly what I do whenever I make hash browns. And when I'm not buying the bag stuff, I will grate an actual potato. I have never once seen you do that. I want to be real with our listeners. I have literally never seen Brian do this. Have you ever seen me with a uh, box grater at all? Like, no, I haven't. Well, then there you go. You've never seen me in the optimal conditions to make this dish. Now, have you? Okay, well, I guess that's going to be like, you should just bring that up from New York the next time that you come up. I think I will. I think I will bring a box grater with me to make you the best hash browns of your life. Bring a mandolin. Mandolin. Stop. Oh, you did. <laughs> you did stop. What else do we have to say about hash browns? I So I'm just not a hash brown person. Like, I, I will never in a million years turn down, like, Dunkin' Donuts hash browns. I'm just like, like, it's not even that I don't like. It's not that I, like, hate them. It's just potatoes aren't, like, my bag. 
I most of the time would prefer another carb. Oh, I I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I mean, like, I love potato chips. I'm not, like, a fool. It's just, like, there's something about, like, like home fries and stuff like that. Like, I'll order them, and sometimes I even crave them. Like, it's not like I have a vendetta against them. I just, like, it, usually I prefer another carb. But, but, wait, we've definitely eaten hash browns together, though, right? Yeah, we have, and I, um... Felt spite breakfast the whole time. No, no, Truge, don't tell me that my love for you has been spite. <laughs> what else? At the beginning of this hash brown segment, uh, he there's a weird like fast forward as the camera tries to get closer to Alton Brown in time for his dialogues to start. It's very weird if you watch it. It's like, oh, why is he like moving a little bit faster? And like, it looks like you're fast forwarding a VCR. It was very bizarre. Uh, I have no comment on this. You're not a film major. I am. Ding. I will hang up this Skype call. Please don't. I would have to, like, split the files together, and it would be really bad for editing. Let's talk about eggs. Uh, wait, wait, wait. No. At this point in the episode, I um, I made a note that uh, this is something that always happens when I watch Good Eats. I'll look at the time left remaining on Netflix or on my phone or whatever and see, wait, there's three and a half minutes left in this whole episode. How is he going to do this? Like, he, all he's done so far is put bacon in a waffle iron and to cook this breakfast. Like, how is he actually going to make eggs and bacon and hash browns in three minutes. It blows my mind. He's real good at being snappy about it. It's very true. He's good at structuring episodes such that, you know, you get the history, you get the weird little quirks, you get the buying tips, you get all that. But then cooking, like, it's not that it takes a backseat, but everything else gets equal footing to the cooking. I mean, were you satisfied with the ending? Uh, Not really. Like, I was happy the episode ended, but I'm not happy about how the episode, like, kept going. Cold. That's how I felt about my last relationship. Speaking of your last relationship broken hearts like shells of eggs he breaks the eggs and cooks the eggs eggs uh this surprised me it was like there was so little egg cooking tips it was just low and slow cover it to steam it and you're done like it was very very fast but like sometimes the simpler the better when it comes to eggs i feel that way the simpler the better yes but if you're gonna like build this up as like you need to be a man and know how to cook yourself you gotta do this you gotta have the camo plated cast iron skillet i feel like this episode is also like at its core even without its like problematic bits it's supposed to be like breakfast made simple or like breakfast made attainable and so they probably didn't want to cram too much in with any like complicated egg cooking that makes sense it's like the idea that this person is so inept that you know he can't get a girlfriend he can't get a job he can't make breakfast all that's all tied up together but trying to make at least one of those things attainable is patronizing if not like slightly good idea to pitch to its audience I mean, this whole episode does that, let's be honest. Exactly. It it postulates that men need to be able to cook breakfast, but at the same time should expect women to cook them breakfast as well with the mom in the beginning. It makes no sense. I think the real thing that makes me upset about this and like... I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling like like this could be kind of silly, right? That we're like so upset about this episode. But the thing that really upsets me about it is that like... There's this implication of like, ah, don't we all know this guy? And like, no, I don't. I literally don't know a person like that. So like, what does that say? Exactly. It's it's all about trying to make this relate back to the real world in a way that the episode expects you to relate to this or at least know somebody like this, but we don't. Like, this isn't a thing anymore. Maybe this was a thing 11 years ago, but it's not now. Well, I mean, it's also like now a thing where like, that, like it's a statistic that like millennials are moving back home because like they're like crippling us with student loan debt so like we can't do anything else but we can at least fry eggs true 
the other thing I really want out of this episode, I know how to do this. I really do. But I really want the Alton Brown segment on. You know, next time I'll show you how to do uh, four or even six eggs at a time with the hash browns in the same pan. I want that. I mean, that's real. I feel that. I would be really interested to like talk to Alton Brown and be like, hey, how do you feel about that episode? Because it's been like 12 years since that episode aired. So part of me wants to believe that he's like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. Yeah, Good Eats went off the air like late 2000s, early 2010s. Like he's grown as a person at this point. He's really embraced YouTube, which is awesome. And yeah, I'm I'm not even going to like bring up and touch on his like cultural appropriation throughout episodes or other societal assumptions he makes about his audience and the food he's cooking. That bothers me a lot. But the show is still so good and so informative and so entertaining that like I really want to excuse that. But I really hope that when he revives it, which apparently he is, uh, I'm really excited to see how he brings that show into the current age yeah i really hope that he has a team behind him who can like like if he doesn't already see that like that shit was problematic <laughs> sorry i'm i'm doing the swears um if he doesn't see see that that stuff is problematic now i hope that he has a team behind him who can like put him in the right direction I agree. I agree. And he's got like a really great team of people like his production designer on Good Eats was with him the entire time and is even working with him still with like weird YouTube projects that he's been doing, which is awesome. Like his production designer for Good Eats made a giant light bulb powered pizza oven and they made a YouTube video about it. And that was the same guy that worked on the very first episode of Good Eats with him. It's awesome. Right. Yeah. What else do you have to say about Good Eats? Um, I have to say that Good Eats makes me uh, the person that I am today. And we continue to critique the things that we love because that's how we like learn to grow and we make better art and we make better media. Do you like Return of the Jedi but hate the Ewoks? That's critique. Have you ever heard Kieran's poem about... Um, so it's in the... the vo- or it's not in the voice of Jake Lloyd, but it's about Jake Lloyd... And how, like, like the first line of the poem is something to the effect of, like, when you see the first ever, like, when you see episode one of Star Wars when you're nine years old, it is not the worst Star Wars movie ever made. <laughs> and that's how I feel about that movie. Like, the first time I saw it, I, like, had no context. So it wasn't like, wow, that was the worst movie ever. I was, like, I was jazzed on, like, what what was that one? Was that? Phantom Menace. Yeah, Phantom Menace. Um... I was totally jazzed on Phantom Menace. I thought Jar Jar Binks was great. I was Jar Jar Binks' target demographic. (sighs) So, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but I remember when I first got into Star Wars as a little kid, and I remember seeing, like, the prequels were just coming out in theaters. I think episode one had been out by that point, and episode two was on its way. But I remember saying, hey, Dad, I want to watch Star Wars. And he goes, okay, let's go get the first Star Wars movie. And we go to the video store, pick it up, and I see episode four why are we starting at number four? No, episode one's over there. And he said, no, let, let, let's watch the first one. Episode four is like, no, no, what? That makes no sense. And I still distinctly remember the very first time I watched Star Wars, episode four, because um, now I have to clarify Star Wars and episode four. I remember hearing a line about the Clone Wars, and I remember going to my dad and saying, ah, ah, see, the Clone Wars happened. That's episode two. We have to watch that one first. I can totally imagine you giving your dad a hard time about this and your dad being like, oh, my God. Just like he is now. Just like I am now. 